You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. On May 25, 2001, Eric Weinmeier became the first blind person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Seven years later, he would complete the seven summits, the highest point on every continent. In 2014, Eric kayaked the entire 277 miles of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. He understands that barriers are real, not merely perceived, and that obstacles encountered can either stop us in our tracks, or we can figure out how to way to harness them. His propensity to take on and knock down the loftiest of challenges is carried on through his work with programs like No Barriers, his books, films, and other projects that encourage others to take their barriers on as well. All right, Eric. So uh, for those that may not be familiar with um, you know, you, who you are and what you do, can you just kind of walk us through a little bit about uh, how you got into sports and recreation, particularly uh, kind of the adventure side of, of uh, outdoor recreation? Yeah, I... Uh, I went blind, uh, as an early teenager, like right before my freshman year in high school. So I wasn't able to, you know, and this was back in the eighties where there weren't really a lot of opportunities for blind people and recreation and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, I couldn't do some of the stuff that the kids did in PE, you know, like basketball and baseball. Mm -hmm. I know there's ways to adapt into that stuff, but it's just, just nobody really knew how to do it in the eighties. So I was, I had my own independent PE program, which was kind of lonely, you know. So my dad would drive me from Connecticut up to the Carroll Center for the Blind once a month, and I'd do these cool recreational opportunities for blind people. Uh, and they'd take us out, like, tandem biking on Cape Cod, which was really fun. I love that. And <laughs> they took us uh, horseback riding, sailing, canoeing, a ropes course. Uh, one time they took us rock climbing. It was three-day rock climbing. Mm experience in North Conway, New Hampshire. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. It was so physical. Um, it was very tactile. There wasn't a ball flying, you know, at my head, ready to crack me upside the head. It was just <laughs> me and the rock face. Uh, and I was mapping the face out with my hands and my feet using, you know, my brain to kind of map out what I was feeling on the rock and what I might predict was ahead and trying to get my body from point A to point B to point C. It was super physical, all about, you know, body awareness. And I was a wrestler at mm. the time. So it was just this perfect next step after wrestling, you know, just kinesthetic movement up, you know, the rock face, trying to figure out how to use your body and, you know, your leverage and your balance to connect, connect the dots. And and so you, you mentioned wrestling because I was going to ask you before you lost your eyesight, if you had you know, if you participated in sports and recreation and if you were active or not. So, so you were wrestling and at least wrestling. Well, I wasn't, I was active, but I wasn't supposed to be because uh, the doctors um, that diagnosed me uh, with this rare eye disease called retina schesis. Uh, you know, it was my retina separating. Mm-hmm. And if, if I got bumped on the head, then my retinas would detach sooner. So the doctors told me not to do anything physical but obviously, as a kid, I was this really active kid. I had like huge FOMO disease, fear of missing out. 
And so I would, and I think you still do, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, for sure. I've never, (laughs) never stopped, but yeah, I would, you know, be climbing cliffs and the nature preserve near my house. And, uh, you know, things don't try this at home kind of things, Mm -hmm. you know, like shooting each other with BB guns and, uh, we'd put goggles on and we'd have these huge BB gun wars and just like the dumbest things that you do as a kid, um, jumping off cliffs into water, into the river, um, water skiing, you know, I do all this stuff behind my parents' back, unfortunately. And <laughs> sure, maybe it made me go blind sooner, but you know, I just couldn't not live, but I officially, I couldn't wrestle or do anything like that until I went totally blind. So in certain weird ways, my life began uh, as a blind person because there wasn't anything else to lose. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a good, good way to put it. I know that, I know that a lot of adaptive athletes, you know, have that, have that exact mentality about, you know, they, 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 this is this is where they're more fulfilled now, uh, and 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 um, and because they're they're experiencing their life uh, in in a way that they probably wouldn't um, if they hadn't you know come across a disability. And so your your eyesight, um, how gradual of a process was it in terms of losing it? And like, I mean, at maybe when you were six or seven, did you have full eye, you know, full vision at that time? Or? No, I was born legally blind. Okay. So, you know, like somebody could see something at 200 feet and I would see that at like the same thing, maybe at 20 or 15 feet. Okay. So I was, I had terrible eyesight, but it was just enough to get me into major trouble mm-hmm. running around in the woods and trying to ride motorcycles. And I'd be the one like, 10 steps behind everyone else running through the woods, tripping over branches and banging into trees and falling into holes. <laughs> so, uh, but I was trying to keep up and yeah, I went, started going more blind. Uh, my right eye was my only decent vision and, and that just kept going and going. And um, I'd wake up every week with a different level of vision. And I remember, you know, just things like, oh, all right, now I can't read books. Okay. Now I can't see the, the whiteboard. Uh, now I can't like finish recess and come back into the hallway. I can't see now. Now I, uh, I can't see to get to the bus stop. Uh, and then, yeah, at one point I can't see to take a freaking step. And, uh, <laughs> so you, you were used to adapting and every, every week you had a different adaptation and, and, um, and yeah, but that puts you in like a primitive kind of mode where you're just like trying to scramble and reacting to life. So I felt like I was so reactive, you know, it's just, trying to hang on to something constant, you know, just like my friends and my family and the things I like doing and, and then just watching my life change every week, you know, it was just, it, it, you couldn't get a stable footing in the world. So that was the weird part. You know, I'm not saying after I went blind, you know, I'm so glad to be blind now. Mm -hmm, (laughs) That's just, you know, that's maybe like in books and Hollywood and stuff. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was bitter. I was angry to be blind. But in a weird, ironic way, I was like, okay, there's no more to lose here. Like, the life will be constant. Mm-hmm. And it may suck, but uh, it'll be constant. That was my thinking in the beginning. Okay. And you talk, You mentioned that it's a rare disease. Uh, has there been uh, any advancement in terms of either... Uh, you know, a, you know, a cure or a, a way to um, to address it medically. Well, yeah, they can do things now that they couldn't do when I was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. they they wrap silicone around your retinas, and they there's things they're doing with gene therapy 
which are absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, some kids, they stop the progress of the disease now, and some people are mm. uh, only lightly affected by it. I remember hearing about a kid with retinoschisis who was uh, a uh, nationally ranked NCAA wrestler, uh, and, uh, and he still has sight in his mm. 20s, I believe. So, yeah, no, I think things are getting better. Maybe people aren't going totally blind from this disease anymore, but I'm, I'm a lost cause. <laughs> <laughs> you're, never, you're never a lost cause. <laughs> and so um, describe for, for those that are listening, what, what do you see? Is it? Is it I a, see nothing. So is it pitch black? I mean, is no, it, it's not so pitch black. So you don't even see pitch black. Okay. No, no, no. But it, see... What maybe people don't know is that vi- sight is not in your eyes. Your your eyes is your mm-hmm. eyes are the um, are, are are the the camera, the lens. But your brain is what really sees. So um, when I could see, um, you know, up until fourteen years old, my brain still sees that picture in my mind. Um, I'm listening to your voice right now. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to the echo of the room. Uh, whatever information I'm getting in an audio auditory way mm-hmm. uh, or even through smells or whatever it may be. Like if I smell a cheeseburger, I'm envisioning that cheeseburger in front of me. So my brain is active. It's not dormant. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's always processing, right? It's always processing. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's important for those um, that to understand that there are different, you know, levels or degrees of, of blindness. I know yeah. that some can, you know, maybe see basic shapes. And yeah. Some, I'm blind as a bat. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, what's really interesting, I don't know what to, you know, um, not to sidetrack the interview, but like, uh, after I went blind from ret- retinoschisis, I had glaucoma and then my eyes, the pressure in my eyeballs, mm. uh, got insanely high, like hundred pounds of liquid pressure. And so I had to have both eyes over time removed. And one of the things I was really afraid of was that like, once they removed my eyes, I wouldn't be able to quite quote unquote, see inside my, you know, what at the time I thought was maybe my eyes, mm-hmm. right? Like I wouldn't be able to see, have this internal picture in, in, inside me. And it gives me stability. It gives me like a, a balance and, a, and something to pinpoint mm-hmm. on in terms of my focus. Uh, and and uh, I woke up without eyes and uh, it was exactly the same. And I realized very close up and personal that, yeah, that picture is in my brain. It has nothing to do with my eyeballs. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, and so going back to that camp where you were first introduced to, to rock climbing and the other sports that you mentioned, obviously rock climbing became a, a, a significant passion of yours. Um, let's talk about some of the things that you've done. And I know that some folks may may have read about uh, some of the uh, – some you know some of the places you've summited some of the some of the climbs that you've made but like just walk us through maybe a, a highlight or two some of the uh, some of the most challenging some of the favorites of yours <laughs> um, yeah just to kind of walk us through this, that journey if you will well I got this um, well so to make a long story short yeah my friend convinced me he said we should try something bigger and all I was doing was rock climbing at that point and I said like what like you know I was climbing hundred foot rock faces like a 200 foot rock face, maybe a 300 foot rock face. What mm-hmm. are you talking about? And he said, how about Denali? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's like so different <laughs> than a rock in the desert of Arizona where right. I was teaching at the time. Uh, but I got pretty carried away with the idea. Um, I'm pretty impressionable. I think 
And so um, <laughs> is that a good thing or a bad thing? It can be, it's a double-edged sword. Right. Yeah. Um, I, from the most part, it's worked out well in my life being impressionable, but I was like really swept away by his idea. Like, and, and he had no clue how to do it. So then my brain maps it out like, okay, how to get to point A to point Z learn so much, you know, like how to do crevasse rescues and how to set up tents with my gloves on, not being able to see how to cook meals on stoves, how to navigate using a trekking pole or an ice axe and somebody out in front of me jingling a bear bell, you know, just how to climb frozen waterfalls um, using my tools as extensions of my hands and tapping the tool against the face and listening for the sound that Mm. it makes as you strike the ice, you know, people were ice climbing with their eyes and I was doing it with my ears, you know, so just Mm -hmm. adapting, learning so much over that 15 month period. And then we struggled to the top of Denali Mm -hmm. uh, in 1995. (laughs) So ancient history now. Um, And, uh, and then, uh, and then I just read this book called uh, the seven summits by Dick Bass. He was the first human to climb the seven summits, the tallest mountain in every continent. I thought, I wonder if I could do that blind. Like Mm -hmm. that would be so cool uh, to make my life into an adventure and have this great excuse just to travel around the world on every continent and, and be an adventure, like how opposite of what I thought blindness would be. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that launched me. And so since then I've been around the world, I've been to every continent, climbed, uh, every, the tallest peak in every continent, uh, besides hundreds and hundreds of other peaks around the world that nobody's ever heard of. And, kayaked all kinds of rivers and uh, a few years ago kayaked the grand canyon um uh, and i don't want my team i want to get to that in a minute because i think i I don't want to leave climbing just yet because i think uh yeah you've done some extraordinary things on both sides climbing climbing in whitewater you know whitewater rafting and kayaking canoeing not rafting you know kayaking canoeing (laughs) so uh and so of the seven summits uh what was the most difficult for you well Look, Everest was hard, but by then I had so much experience in the mountains, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, I'd say the Kumbu Icefall Mount Everest was like a blind person's worst nightmare. It didn't beat Americans with Disability Act standards. <laughs> uh, no, it involved. Like if I really hated a blind person, that's where I'd put them. I'd go go put them in the middle of the Kumbu Icefall in Everest. Um so yeah, it's just jumbled so, up. So if anybody's missing, we know we know where, where yeah, they are. Yeah, it's if if you're if you're in the penalty box and you're blind, I'm going to put you in the Kumbu Icefall. <laughs> um, but yeah, every step could kill you. No step was the same. Crevasses, you're jumping across and mm-hmm. zigzagging on snow bridges, the width of your boot, crossing ladders, four or five ladders lashed together, just weaving and bobbing ice boulders under your feet that are rolling and shifting with thousands of foot drops. It was just, it tested everything I had in the mountains. Uh, So that was hard, of course. But Denali, I'd say, because it's my first of the big climbs, I, you know, I'd wrestled, I'd rock climbed. So Mm -hmm. I had a little taste of suffering, which uh, saved me. Mm -hmm. But Denali was so much suffering. I mean, there's joy and beauty and laughter and amazing stuff, you know, just these amazing gifts. But there was so much suffering uh, that you had to work through to get there. You know, one day just, I was slipping and sliding in, in these frozen boot marks and they were like, you know, shin deep and you didn't want to get off the trail cause you'd fall into a crevasse, you know? Mm-hmm. So you got to stick to the trail and I can't find the boot holes. And I had blisters mm-hmm. on my feet. I was slipping and sliding and uh, got back down to our tent 
after like eight, 10 hours of just sliding every step, slipping and sliding. And I got into my tent and I cried like a baby. I was like, I hadn't cried, you know, since I was like 15, you know? Right. And I was just like, this is, I'm not tough enough for this. I just, I don't have what it takes. So there's always like the side of you that is like, this is, I'm not cut out for this. And then there's the other side that's just like, I want to do this forever. You know, like I may not be quite qualified, but Mm -hmm. this is what I want to do forever. This is so weirdly fulfilling, even though there's so much suffering and fear and doubt. Uh, And, you know, I guess like in our lives, you know, I'm kind of, we're always walking on this knife edge between uh, hope and adventure on one side and fear and doubt on the other side. And that doesn't really change. Yeah, and, and and so what what is it about I mean what is the drive what is the driving motivation is, is it yeah. um just the just this sure sense of yeah. sheer sense of accomplishment or challenge or is it um obviously you're just being out in the elements and experiencing yeah I love the, the mountains I love the rivers like I, I always have this compelling sort of desire to like figure things out how can I flourish in this landscape how mm-hmm. can I build up the systems strategies, the tools, the technologies, you know, kind of build a great team around me uh, to support each other. You know, that thrills me. I love the view too, you know, the feel of the ice and Mm -hmm. the sound of the, uh, of the rocks and the smells and the, uh, and the cultures, you know, that you experience. So Mm -hmm. all of that's good. And I've tried not to be motivated by, you know, oh, people said, I can't do this. So I'm going to go do it, you know, because then then you're just as reactionary as the world is in a way. So I've tried to get away from that too. You know, I had a few experiences rock climbing when I was younger and I thought I'm doing this right now to prove to these folks that, you know, that to defy these folks who didn't believe that I could do it. And that's not a good way to be motivated in life. It should be the things you accomplish should be celebrations of life and fulfillment, you know, and teams and what you can achieve and potential. It shouldn't be like trying to defy the world. That's just, it, that only takes you so far. It, it does. And, uh, and I've said that in a couple of different, in, in, in many other ways in terms of, you know, you shouldn't be doing it for others. You should be doing it for, for yourself. yourself. Yeah. So, so, um, but, but I will say, you know, like, look, I mean, the, when I sat in the cafeteria going, having just recently gone blind and I'm listening to the chaos of the cafeteria around me. I'm sitting at a table by myself. Uh, you know, it was, some people are mean in high mm-hmm. school, you know? So yeah. like with some friends had abandoned me and, you know, I was this blind kid and they were like, how do I react to this kid? And, you know, you want to take the tension off yourself. So it's easy to like point to the blind kid, you know? And so, yeah, you know, so I've definitely felt excluded and a little bit angry and sitting there at a table by myself listening to like the food fights and the fun life happening, happening around me. And I wasn't a part of it. And I think honestly, that feeling sticks with you because you it's primal. It's this fear that you're in this prison and uh, you hate being in that prison. And so the ultimate thinking is like, well, it's, it's scary to think about a life in that prison, you know, a meaningless life, Mm -hmm. a life that has no purpose, a life lived on the sidelines. And it's scary thinking about breaking out of that prison. That's terrifying too, but pick the, pick the thing that is going to bring you more fulfillment and happiness 
enjoy an adventure in your life. Like both are scary. So pick the scary thing that's going to lead you somewhere. Don't pick the scary thing that's, that's a dead end. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about some of your, your kayaking adventures. As you mentioned, you've, you, uh, or the you you have a number of firsts there as uh, there as well. Um, so how did you get it? How did you? Uh, we talked about how you first experienced rock climbing. How did you first experience just you know the white water? I was with my buddy Rob Raker, and we were in Nepal, and we were climbing this three thousand foot vertical overhanging ice face, and we were uh, bivying out. That's like what that means is that you're basically lying on a little slopey cliff on the side of this ice face two thirds of the way up the the face with the wind just scouring down the face and these crappy little sleeping bags and we're just shivering mm. i'm like almost hallucinating like thinking about <laughs> like i kept having this dream i was in my living room and i was and, and i'd fallen asleep without a blanket on and the door had blown open there was a blizzard outside and the snow was blowing on top of me and uh my daughter uh, would wake me up and say, dad, you, you fell asleep on the carpet, like wake up. And I'd say, I'm on a knife face in Nepal, you know, <laughs> but anyway, so that night, and we didn't have much food either. So Rob, uh, started talking about, he was a kayaker and he was like, you know, kayaking's really awesome. You, you're a lot of times it's sunny and warm and, uh, and you can have a raft support you and you can, um, have a lot of like beer and food and a night you have campfires like on the side of the river. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Sunny, sunny and warm sounded great right then. Oh my God. Yeah. So when we got home, he taught me how to do a kayak roll, a combat roll mm -hmm. in this lake up in Colorado. And he was so patient. And then after that, of course I said, Hey Rob, <laughs> what about a river? That'd be cool. Like, I, I don't know of any blind people or how it would work, you know, like, but how could, could I try a river? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's give it a try. So we started out with baby steps on some rivers some easy rivers and, uh, and just started, um, experimenting with different systems and guiding systems and, and trying to just orient myself. Like even mm -hmm. in a lake, I couldn't orient myself at first because whitewater kayaks are designed to, to steer, to turn. Mm -hmm. Uh, they want to be able to turn on a dime. They're like skis, you know, the new skis. Right. Um, and so even staying a straight line in a lake where I was like, how do I orient myself? You know, it was just this a complete starting over learning process. And uh, at some point, just like it, had, you know, Everest committing to that, you know, the idea comes out of your recesses of your mind. Mm -hmm. It's a really scary moment. You say, I wonder if I could kayak the Grand Canyon. I'd been there one time rafting with a group. And those rapids are so massive, 30 foot tall mm -hmm. walls of water. <laughs> like, do you think I could do that? And Rob was like, yeah, sure. Let's. Let's see. <laughs> and? <laughs> um, and you did. Six years of training. Yeah. We went to the Grand Canyon and crushed it. And uh, it was so amazing. It was terrifying too, I have to say. But I had an amazing team. Harlan Taney was my uh, guide. Uh, Rob was like my secondary guide at that point because like we really wanted somebody who knew the Grand Canyon, you know, like the back of their hand. Mm -hmm. And that was Harlan. He'd he had been down the river hundreds of times. And so he knew all the rapids. He could describe them to me. Uh, you know, okay, this one, there's these two giant rocks and you're going to have to shoot through this gauntlet. And then we're going to have to hammer left into this giant wave. And then you're going to square up with the blah, blah, blah. And you know what I mean? So he could map out every rapid, which was really important to me. I wanted to guide down the river. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
Uh, yeah, Harlan was amazing. Half uh, human, half dolphin. Best kayak I've ever met. <laughs> he doesn't do the, the sound effects of dolphins, does he? <laughs> no, no. Although he would probably if we asked him. Flipper. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how have you turned um, your your life's adventures and some of these uh, some of these adventures that you've done uh, into some of the work that you're doing now. And, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm leading us to, I want to talk about, you know, the, the book that you put out, uh, you know, barriers, the, uh, the documentary, your work with, you know, touch the top. So uh, feel free to launch wherever you want to launch on that on, on that question. Yeah. Um, well, like, okay, so I'll start with this, the Sherpas on, on Everest. They say when you get to the summit, it's a real buzzkill because you're so psyched you just got to the summit. And they say, this is only the halfway summit. You have to get down. And you're like, oh, yeah, right. You got to get <laughs> down. Right. But I think the Sherpa is like in a deeper way. What they're talking about is that you have to come down the mountain, you know, back to life, you know, where human beings live before it really makes a difference. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of that hero's journey, I guess. And so for me, you know trying to figure out how to come off the mountain and marry the two pieces of my life. And like, have I learned some things along the way that maybe I could, that, that would be applicable to other people, you know, cause we're all trying to build a map, right? Mm -hmm. We're all trying to navigate this map and figure out what that map looks like and how to get through the different, uh, the different elements that exist along the way. And so for me, it was fortuitous to team up with uh, Mark Wellman who was a massive um, hero of mine. He was the first paraplegic mm -hmm. athlete to climb El Capitan doing 7,000 pull-ups up the rock face. I know, uh, I know Mark well, yeah. Yeah, and so like, I, I'd read his book and I was just like enamored, you know what I mean? This was my, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, or or uh, Shaquille O'Neal. I'm dating myself. That's, that's right. That. Yeah. LeBron James. LeBron now, right? James. Sorry, exactly. yeah, we'll go with LeBron James. Uh, and so... Uh, so Mark asked me to be a part of a film and he's like, I got another guy with, uh, that's going to join us for this film. Uh, his name's Hugh Herr. I'm mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, another <laughs> hero of mine, another legend. You know, these guys are both like five or six old, years older than me. Mark might even be older than that. But, um, but Hugh was a double leg amputee who had lost his legs in a climbing accident and, uh, had emerged on the other side, having developed these prosthetic, legs with feet that he could use to climb. And not only did he do that, but he got, he, he went back to school and got a PhD in bioengineering and now runs the biomechatronics laboratory at MIT, um, building like the most sophisticated prosthetic legs in the mm, world. Wow. So the three of us, it was really led by Mark. He, we started this idea of no barriers and, um, it morphed into what it is today, which is helping people to break through barriers in their life, uh, helping them to tap into what they have inside and figure out how to come back to the world and contribute in, in some way. And in a weird way, we're all united by our struggles, by that suffering, by the things we've been through, you know, Mark and Hugh and I, sure, our triumphs were cool, but we really were connected by struggle, you know, mm -hmm. like this process of getting shattered and coming back and figuring out a way to, you know, sort of rebuild yourself and, and re-enter the world and maybe have something to teach. And so no barriers really came out of questions, you know, like how, what can we teach people um, about that map? And uh, so now we have programs, hundreds of programs with uh, injured veterans, 
with people with physical challenges, blind folks, deaf folks, but also um, kids who are in the foster care system or first generation Americans mm-hmm. or kids who a, a, a parent is in jail and they're struggling, you know, because I, all, I, I never wanted to create an organization. And again, nothing wrong with the organizations that just work with people with physical disabilities. But in my mind, challenge is challenge. Challenge, it's an expansive definition of challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're a kid who's struggled in the foster care system and you're a blind person, you have so much in common um, at a macro level. Sure, the specifics are different, but at a macro level, so similar. And so for us at No Barriers, we're trying to say, what are those universal things that we all share that if we lean in and we, we can really help each other figure out the way forward? And so a lot of our programs are all about how to do that. Yeah. And I, that's, um, you know, I, I'm a true believer in, you know, we all have, you know, a barrier or barriers in life and, and some, you know, to different extremes or, or there's a spectrum, you know, perhaps. Uh, but but that um, just over, you know, coming together and learning how to overcome those uh, barriers. And and we all start at a point B and end at a or start at a point A and end at a point B. Right. I mean, that's what we are all. That's how we were born. Point A. And we have to figure out how to to navigate to point B. Yeah. <laughs> so I think your yeah. your your book, your um, your work with no barriers has mm-hmm. has helped a, lo- a yeah. lot of people do that. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, the books and films came along the way. I kind of fell into that world. I've made four or five really beautiful films. I'm really mm-hmm. psyched. They're, they all turned out so well. Um, our last film, uh, The Weight of Water, won the Banff Mountain Film Festival. Um, yeah, so I've written three books now. Uh, my last one being No Barriers, really trying mm-hmm. to not preach to people because I don't know. I think people learn better just through experiences. So really talking about what that map looks like from my perspective and from our our movement's perspective. Uh, so that's been really fulfilling. And uh, we just made a film about one of our No Barriers participants, uh, Melissa Simpson, who uh, has cerebral palsy. She lives up in Leadville, um, which is 10,000 feet uh, above sea level. And uh, she has, her mom is a beautiful support system for her, but she can't drive, you know, winter, crazy winter days that it's too cold to even leave the house. And how is she going to get out with, in her wheelchair, you know? But um, she uh, one day said, hey, I'm, I need to be able to like get from my wheelchair to the couch. And so she signed up for like a CrossFit studio. She just shows up and <laughs> says, hey, you want to, figure out how to train me. How insanely brave is that? And now she's way fitter. And her no barriers pledge was to uh, climb up one of the peaks in the Rockies that, uh, Mm -hmm. that she looks out of her window and sees every day. So we made a beautiful, uh, one of the 10 K's or (laughs) what it it was a 13,000 foot peak. Okay. And, um, but it was a beautiful one. Uh, and, um, and so we made a film about that experience called, uh, from my window that's out there as well now. So, Oh, that, okay. I haven't heard that one. So it is out. What's the, where can people find it? Uh, it's on Vimeo. Vimeo. It's the Vimeo staff pick. Uh, okay. It was uh, of the, of the month. And then um, we're hoping maybe it'll become the staff pick of the year. Awesome. Yeah. So um, just in terms of uh, wrapping up, what, what are some of the things that you are, are working on besides that one that you just mentioned, but uh, what are some of the next uh, projects for you or, or just what do you, what would you like to share yeah. in terms of some of your next? Uh, well, No Barriers has a, a, our big celebration of what this No Barriers life is all about is called our summit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've had one every year for the last what 15 years now or something. And it just keeps growing it before the pandemic. It was thousands of people all converging in a mountain town, 
And we'd have workshops and clinics and entertainment and art and music and just all kinds of people co-mingling and sharing their experiences and teaching other people cool things like adaptive kickboxing and, um, and, uh, you know, hiking and, and climbing and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting to test different technologies, different innovations, uh, um, showing off like what people are doing to break through barriers, uh, in their life and what they brought to the world, you know? Um, uh, so yeah, we'll have another one of those August 28th, 29th and 30th, and it'll, we'll have a core group. People can come, but, uh, I know in the pandemic, you know, people are still a little bit leery. So we'll also have a virtual component. Uh, last year we added that virtual component to the summit and we had 1.3 million people viewing from around the world. So <laughs> it was kind of a backwards hidden surprise gift, mm-hmm. I guess, that we learned that, you know, we actually, there's global interest in this kind of message. Uh, so yeah, we'll do it again this year. And the highlights are so cool. I mean, like, you know, there's just the human stories, of course, but there's also these like magnificent sort of displays of how we break through barriers with a team and technology. Um, we're going to show off the the SAM car, which is Sam Schmidt, he's a quadriplegic. He mm-hmm. got injured in a uh, in the in the indie uh, on in, in the indie circuit, and uh, we're going to show off his car, which is uh, he drives it. A bunch of companies got together and built this thing, but it works. It tracks his inf- infrared scanners track his eye movements, hmm. and so that he's able to basically steer the car with his eye movements. He's able to brake and accelerate through a puff and sip system. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and the car just keeps getting better and better. So he's been able to drive his car, what, at like 200 miles per hour with his eyeballs. <laughs> so some of the stuff you'll see at the summit is like science fiction. It seems yeah. more like science fiction, but it's the future. It is. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's the present and, and the future. I mean, it's amazing to see and, and to hear about that type of technology. Yeah. So how, how do, uh, Eric, how do folks uh, find out about the summit and, and learn uh, if they want to follow your, your uh, work, how do they do that? Uh, NoBarriersUSA.org. Just go to NoBarriersUSA.org and, uh, and you can learn all about the summit and learn about, you know, some of my work and so forth. And uh, I was one of the founders of the summit, but the smartest thing I ever did was, um, you know, create a, a leadership group of people who are a lot smarter than me and, uh, and know how to grow things mm-hmm. and build things. So we have a great team of leaders and, um, we just keep growing and growing. Wonderful. Eric, thank you for being our guest. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.